Lord, there is none like you. And it's true that um, an eternal search would never come up, would never bring up anyone like you. Lord, you have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. You have given us a, a new name um, and a new destiny. And so, Lord, thank you first and foremost, but then we also trust you to keep changing us and growing us up, um, changing us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And, and so, Lord, in, in a moment as we open your word, would you open our hearts, Lord, teach us what we don't know, um, show us what we can't see, and change us into what we aren't. We're trusting you by your Spirit to Again, thank you for being here this morning. My name is Floyd. If you're new here, um, we are concluding a study in 2 Peter this morning. We went through the book of 1 Peter, and we are in 2 Peter this morning, and we're in the last um, message in this book. If you want to know where we're headed next Sunday, we're going to the Old Testament and uh, going to the book of 1 Samuel and going to work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm also realizing as I prepare that teaching an Old Testament narrative, uh, history stories like that, is very different than teaching epistles in the New Testament. Um, you know, as we've worked our way through the epistles of the New Testament, we've done this very distinctly verse by verse. And as we work our way through 1 Samuel, we'll probably do it story by story. Um, but again, who's the central figure of all of it? Jesus Christ is. Most of the things that we know in our lives, maybe everything that we know in our lives, are punctuated by beginnings and endings. And that's the way that we know life to exist. There's beginnings and there's endings. Things start, there's firsts and there's lasts. And once in a while, we encounter a first, and we, didn't, and we don't know, we're not aware at the time that it's a first. For example, you meet somebody, and you interact with them, and you come away from that interaction with an opinion, and then a few years later, you discover that that person is part of your daily life. You might even get married to them eventually. Um, but at the point that you meet, oftentimes you're not aware that it's a first. Or you try out a food, and you decide you love it, and you're not aware that you're beginning a long relationship with that food. <laughs> Hopefully a happy one. <laughs> but you're not aware it's a first. Sometimes you are aware. Sometimes you just sort of understand it right away. This is a first. And the same is true with the last. You know, because we live in the context of it is, but not yet. And there's a sense of anticipation, but the things that we know of in life are measured by time and space. And so there's the first and the last, and then there's those last moments, the, the last time you get to play on that field if you were into sports. You know, senior year comes and it winds up being the last. And... Or the last time you get to visit that particular place. Or the last conversation you have with somebody before they pass. Or the last thing you say to somebody. 
And like the first, we're not always aware that those moments are last. Sometimes we are, and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're conscious of the fact that this is probably the last. And I, I've been, I was blessed to know all my grandparents. With a couple of my grandparents, I was able to have last words with them. And we knew that we were having last words here together on earth. Um, with one of them, I didn't get that opportunity. It was just taken suddenly. That's, that's the way life is, isn't it? We, we have those firsts and we have those lasts. If you look at the context that the, this letter is written, Second Peter, it's written towards the final days of Peter's time here on earth. And man, could he tell stories. I mean, think about the stories that Peter could have told about his time walking with Jesus. And then Pentecost Sunday comes and he was there. He saw the fire. He felt the coming of the Holy Spirit. He stood up and preached to thousands and saw thousands added to the faith. And then he, was, he went and he traveled around, him and Paul and a number of other men and women who traveled around just sharing the gospel, this good news of Jesus all over the known world. And he had lived out the stories, he had heard the stories, and he had seen people who had come to a place of saying, well, I think I trust in this Jesus. I want to at least join this thing that they were calling the way, or by the time it got to the Antioch church, they were calling it Christianity, or they, were call, they called them Christians, little Christ. And he had seen this thing that they called the ecclesia, the church, sort of evolve into something with some structure and leadership. And boy, did he have stories. Think about his stories. But Second Peter is written in the context of he's most likely, no one knows for sure, but he's most likely in prison in Rome. And these are some of his last words to other believers. And so he's sending this letter out. And the way that he begins this letter is also the way that he ends the letter. And he's pointing to the same things. And that is that they would keep growing in their faith and they would specifically grow in learning to know Jesus and that they would grow in knowing Jesus. He begins that way and as we're going to find out in a few moments, he sort of ends that way. He's aware that this is probably one of those last moments at least here on earth. And so again, whatever he says is what's important to him. And he doesn't move to telling stories. He doesn't move to talking about, well, when you get together, turn the chairs this way, do this kind of music, read this translation, or any of those things that people tend to occupy their minds and hearts with. He just drills in on the most important things, that you would know Jesus Christ. Let's read the text this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 14. This is one of the beloved comments in this section of verses where he again refers to them as beloved. And I love the very tender tone that Peter shares with his readers. Verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. 
There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that's his doxology. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. If you go back up to verse 14, where he says, Beloved, since you were waiting for these, he's talking about the context of having just shared with them the, the reminder, he said, at the beginning of this passage, he says, I want to remind you, I want to make sure you remember that Jesus is coming again, that he is returning just as he promised. He addresses in this chapter the fact that there are people who are scoffers who are saying he's never coming back. Life is just going to go on the same way it always has gone. People are going to get old. They're going to be born. They're going to live their lives. They're going to get old. They're going to die. He's like this. Then the scoffers were saying, this is just the way that life has always gone. Jesus is never returning. And Peter is telling his readers, I want to give you a reminder that God has promised he will return one day. He will set things right in justice. He will deliver us from these bodies of sin. And he says, I want to give you a reminder that God is a promise-keeping God. He keeps his promises. And if he has promised to return again, then he will, in fact, return again. And while Peter doesn't answer all the questions about when it's going to be, what are all the events going to be surrounding his return, he just points to this one thing, and that is that God has promised he will return, that Christ will return for his bride, for us as a church, and he will keep his promise. And he says, and in case you're wondering, like, why hasn't he come? He says, because God is patient. And we looked at that last Sunday. God is patient, not willing that any should perish. And so he points to that characteristic, that attribute of God, his patience, in the context of reminding them of the, of the coming wrath and justice of God in the return of Christ. Because he certainly points to the fact that the ungodly will perish, but he says, but the godly are kept by a patient God who is drawing people to himself. And so we pick up in this context, and he's referring to that. There's a therefore there, so we pay attention to it. And he says, therefore, beloved, he says, since you're waiting for these, he says, be ready. Be ready. Be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So he's drawing some imagery that may have been familiar to them, especially if they were part of the Jewish community. They would have been familiar with this idea of being without spot or blemish because they knew that when they went to choose an animal to sacrifice for sins, that it was supposed to be an animal, what? Without spot or blemish. They understood that kind of terminology. And now he's saying, you be found by him without spot or blemish and a peace. In other words, when Christ comes, he expects us to be without spot or blemish and a peace. Now listen, <laughs> this brings up a problem because if we're going to be without spot or blemish, 
We'd better get to trying harder, hadn't we? I mean, no more skipping Sunday. No more walking past the offering plate without putting money in it. No more skipping our daily Bible reading. Because we'd better get this right. What are the odds that if you actually were able to do that, I mean, let's say we could do that. No more wrong thoughts either. Like you can't be angry at anybody. Don't ever lust anymore. I mean, goodness sakes, we've got to be without spot and blemish by the time he gets here. We better try harder. You think that's what he's saying? You think it's possible that Peter is saying to us, to his readers, that, hey, what, hey Christ is coming, he's returning, and in order to be ready, you must be without spot or without blemish? And that he expects to say, wow, I, you know, I know, just yesterday, I, I, I promised some of the stuff I did was sinful. I know it was, or the stuff I was thinking about that person for sure was sinful. I can't do that anymore. I need to be without spot and blemish by the time he gets here. Aren't you glad he doesn't just stop there? Aren't you glad that that's not actually what he's saying, and I hope that's not what you're taking away from this? I'll be honest, I've heard it preached that way before, and it's, it's a, just a miscarriage of the text. It's a wrong way to handle it. Because none of us, if we tried the hardest we possibly could for the rest of our life, would be capable of living in a way that when we see Jesus Christ, that we would stand there without spot and blemish. But he goes on and he says, and be found in him without spot and blemish and at peace. And by the way, that is the standard, isn't it? You know, and I've shared this before. You know, Erwin Lutzer talks about the, the people who stood outside of a Christian event, large Christian event, and just started asking people, do you have to be perfect in order to get to heaven? And by far, most people said, oh, no, no, you don't have to be perfect to get into heaven. They were all wrong about that. You do actually have to be perfect to get into heaven. That presents a problem. You and I must be without spot and blemish when Christ comes. And he goes on, and he says... And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Where is he placing the weight of our salvation? It's actually not on us, is it? It's on him. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And he takes the weight of perfection the call to be without spot or without blemish. And he places it on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you and I will not stand there, received by God because of our own good works, but because of his good works having been applied to our lives. Because we will stand there in his righteousness, covered in his robe of righteousness, And so is the standard perfection? Yes, it is. His perfection, not ours. I think that Scripture, especially in the New Testament, tends to really anticipate two fallacies around the gospel and Christ. 
And it is that those, there, that as the gospel went out, that there would be those who would claim to know Christ, but would refuse to obey him. First John talks about that. He's like, there, he says, if you say that you love God, but you don't want anything to do with obeying him, he says, I call that a lie. That's his, that's his terminology. But then there's a second kind of people that it, that it also anticipates. And those who claim to obey him but have no interest in knowing him. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 7 in his Sermon on the Mount where he says there will be people who will come and they will say, I did all these things. He said, and so people will come saying, I did all these good works. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know you. There's no relationship. So there will be people who claim to know but refuse to obey. And there's also people who claim to obey but refuse to know. And large chunks of the New Testament are addressing both of those fallacies. That it is possible somehow to know Jesus without obeying him or to obey him without knowing him. Because if you don't know Jesus personally, then it's impossible really actually to obey him. And vice versa. And so Peter is not pointing them somehow to this human effort, try really hard to be a person without spot and blemish. Like make yourself, save yourself. Do better. But if you continue to read, he's also sort of addressing another error that was going on. And that was this idea that we could sort of give verbal assent and say, yeah, I kind of know, I know Jesus. I mean, I go to church. But it has zero effect on our lives whatsoever. It would, be, it would be like marrying somebody and then going on and living your life without them. To think that it is possible for us to come to faith in Jesus Christ. To, to trust him with the forgiveness and the cleansing of our sin. And for that not to dramatically change our lives. It has to change our lives. Those ideas were being floated around as Peter was writing his letter. It didn't take people long to start twisting the truth. And if you think that heresy and error started with our generation, you're kidding yourself. Started pretty early. And Peter addresses it. But ultimately, we trust the patience of our God, the love that was poured out at Calvary, where he died for our sins as our substitute. The word that Scripture uses is this big word, propitiation, for our sins. So that you and I could stand with confidence in the day that we see Jesus. Try harder is not the message. Try harder is not the message. The message is trust Jesus, the patience of our God as salvation. And I, I know how much it gets in your pores because it gets in my pores. When we think about the day that we are going to see Jesus face to face, where do we first start thinking? 
well, what's my last several days been like? What's the last week of my life been like? Have I done enough? And we're going to the wrong place, aren't we? Because again, I think I mentioned this last Sunday to quote Alistair Begg, if we start the answer to the question, why should God receive you? If we start that in the first person, well, I, we're probably starting to get it wrong right away. The right answer really is, well, he, he died for my sin. He has cleansed me. He did it all. It's his work. And so there, there is the call in these final words by Peter to be ready. But there's also the call in these final words to be careful. And he's reminding them that they are living in the context that here in this earth where there is a lot of error and heresy floating around. And he even refers to Paul's words. And this is sort of parenthetical to everything else I'm going to say in the message. But there's been a lot of speculation over the years of whether or not some of the gospel writers or whether the Bible writers were aware that they were writing Scripture as they were, wearing, as they were writing it. And I think in most cases, yes. And this is one of the passages I would kind of turn to, that there was an awareness right away that this is, these writings were Scripture and that they were authoritative. And Peter refers to his beloved brother Paul. And he says he also wrote to you about these things. But then he, he acknowledges the fact that, and I, I, I hope that Paul was somewhere close to Peter when he wrote this and Peter looked at him and and said, Paul, would it be okay if I said that your words are hard to understand sometimes? <laughs> I don't, it probably wasn't. I hope he shot him a text or something. He said, Paul, I'm about to write in this letter that sometimes your words are hard to understand. Is that okay? And Paul says, sure, they are sometimes. But they didn't come from me. Because, see, that's, that's the real crux of the matter, isn't it? That's what Peter is referring to when he says, oh, and these, these gospel truths. He says, hold on to them and hang on to the truths of these. He says, even like our beloved brother Paul wrote you, where he said these things, and he says, I acknowledge the fact that sometimes his words are kind of hard to understand and, and that those who, who, would, who want to, they twist them. You know, you think of a letter like uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, where Paul just does a beautiful job, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, of unfolding the glorious gospel of Christ. And then there were people who would read Romans and they would ignore parts of it and capitalize on other parts of it. And some people who were literally saying that they're, you know, when Paul talks about where, where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Where there's more sin, there's more grace. And there were literally people in their day who were saying, therefore, we should all sin like the devil. So that grace is, so that there's more grace. Ignoring the fact that Paul immediately after that says, so shall we sin more? He says, absolutely not. Or some translations say, God forbid. And Peter's acknowledging that people had a way of just twisting these words, making them sound like something other than what they were intended to be, always for the purpose of serving themselves always for the purpose of serving their own self-interest. And Peter says, you got to be careful. 
As you navigate through this faith in Jesus, take care. In other words, be careful that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. There's like a word of warning there, isn't there? Be careful. Listen, if you've hung around Christianity very long, you've watched this happen. You've watched people that you knew and loved. I have watched people that I know and love who have sort of, first and foremost, become sort of self-centered and then started to change and twist the theology and the truth to fit themselves. And I don't know how many times I've known people who, as they, as they just make complete shipwreck of their lives, will say these words, I feel closer to God than I've ever felt in my life. As they give themselves to sin, will say, oh, I just feel closer to God than I've ever felt in my life. What? Like you're, you're spitting in his face, you're violating everything his word says to do and don't do, and then you turn around and say, but I feel very close to God. And all of a sudden one day it hit me that if the God they are serving is the, peop- is the person they see in the mirror, then they're probably right. You know what I'm saying? If we are our own gods, and if the God that they've been serving all along has been the image they see in the mirror, the person they see in the mirror, then the more that they serve that God, the closer they're going to feel to that God. And A.W. Tozer said that we have a bad habit of forming and fashioning a God in our head that we are comfortable with serving instead of simply serving the God of the Bible. And it's very possible. And I think that's some of what Peter is talking about here. So be careful. You don't take the truths of Scripture and use them to serve a self-serving God, a God that you fashioned in your own head, in your own heart, because that one is a lot better. I mean, we look down on the children of Israel because they built golden calves. While the fire is on the mountain, by the way. And, they, and, and one of the things we miss about that is that they didn't claim to reject Jehovah God that day. They said, in fact, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. What they needed was a God that was in their control. A God who, who thunders from the mountain. A God who leads with smoke. You can't control a God like that. He does what he wants to do. But a God that you've made with your own hand, you can control that God. And we're more comfortable with him. And so Peter's warning is that it's very possible to spend your life and your days here reading the texts, but twisting them so that the God that you serve is not actually the God of the Bible but is one of our own imagination. And so there is a warning. Be ready, be careful. And then lastly, be growing. Actually, be growing is the way I had it first. I changed it to by growing. And here's why I changed it, is because I think the text changes it. Because he says, he, he gives these warnings, and by, by the time he gets to verse 18, the last verse, 
He says, here's the other alternative. The alternative to not being ready, the alternative to, alternative to losing your stability, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to be ready, if you want to be stable, you do that by growing. You do that by drawing near to Jesus. You do that by allowing his sanctification to take its work in your life. In other words, you don't wake up in the morning with a sense of, I have arrived. You wake up in the morning with a sense of, God, do your work in me today. Because we're justified at salvation, but sanctification is a lifelong process. God is day by day, he's changing us and making us more like Jesus every day. And if you've never been saved, if you've never really trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, don't go to sleep tonight without doing that. But the reality is for most of us here, we have. But then it's easy to get lazy, to get sidetracked. And it's very possible to end up as old people but still very immature in the faith because we've not allowed growth to happen. We haven't grown in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grace and knowledge, by the way, are not two nice-sounding words. These words have meaning. God's grace is His divine influence doing in us what we could never do for ourselves. It's His process of changing us day by day, allowing even painful circumstances to come into our lives because it will change us and make us more like Jesus. And in the process, we learn to know Jesus in a way that we've never known Him before. He says, grow in that. Now, Peter started his letter this way. He says, I'm praying that you guys would grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he finishes his letter this way. And if he's saying, this is really what I'm concerned about. This is really what's important to me in this final letter that I'm writing to you. That you guys would grow. Then it has to be possible to grow. Right? Now, this seems self-evident. But there's this myth that we're going to hit some point of our lives and we will now be mature Christians, incapable of sinning. It's a myth. For the rest of my life, I, I anticipate growing in Christ and I'm looking forward to it. I don't want to be as mature as I am today when I get to five years from now or ten years from now. I want to be more mature. I want to know Jesus better. I want to know more about him. I want to know what he likes. I want to know what he hates. I want to see people the way he sees them. I want to feel about them the way that he feels about them. I want to respond to them the way that Jesus would respond to them. I want to have the wisdom that Jesus would have as I navigate the situations of life. Don't you? I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And wouldn't it be possible, in fact probable, that we could stand here or we could sit here on a Sunday morning Week after week, and we could say, you know, I do, I, I really do, I want to grow. But then do absolutely nothing in order to grow. It'd be like, I met this person. I'd really like to learn to know them better, but I'm never going to talk to him again. I don't want to spend any time with them, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to study what they like. Well, you're not going to learn to know them better. You've got to spend time with them. 
You gotta talk to them. You gotta listen. Lean in to know what they like, what they hate. And that's how we know Jesus. And turns out, you know, the things they taught us in Sunday school still matter. Read your Bible, pray every day. But we dismissed it as Sunday school things. And we shouldn't have. It's still the context and the platform that God grows us up. And here's another little thing. I love this. God puts people into our lives for exactly this purpose of helping us grow. He puts situations in our lives in his sovereignty for the exact purpose of helping us grow in Jesus Christ. You know that person that you just have a hard time stomaching right now? Might even be the person you're married to. I hope not. But that person who just irritates you. God in his kindness and his sovereignty would like to use that exact situation to help you and I grow. To help us grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You want to grow? Well, like most of us say, yeah, I want to grow as long as it's painless. You know, keep it easy. I'd love to grow. I'd love to be more like Jesus. And it doesn't work that way because our own flesh and sin gets in the way and it needs to be addressed in the process. You know, it's, can I just talk to a segment of our group a little bit? Moms. You know, it's Mother's Day. And for all the things that the culture is putting pressure on you to do and accomplish with your kids, make sure you train them to do this or make sure you get this right or make sure you don't put this in their body and make sure you keep this in their body or, well, you know, whatever. I mean, there's just a list that goes on and on and on and on. And it's exhausting. There's nothing more important for you as a mother to teach and train your kids. I mean, train them to be good people, to be good citizens. By all means, the whole world's going to thank you if you do. Don't raise little tyrants who think the world's about themselves. But their most important thing is that you not only teach them, but you model for them what it looks like to grow in knowing Jesus Christ. Let them see you grow. Let them experience the benefits of you growing. Like, it is okay for your kids and your husband and by the way, this is true for all of us. It's okay for the people who are closest to us to see us growing. To hear us say, you know, God, God's been working on me. I'm realizing I was wrong about some things. I was wrong about the way that I was, I was approaching this. Spirit of God is convicting and he's working me. Let the people who are closest to you see God growing you up. That's the way it's supposed to work. And nobody, by the way, knows whether it's a real deal or whether we're just putting on a front than the people who are closest to us. They know. They get it. But let them experience the benefits of it. The, because it's Mother's Day, you know, you have to talk about a mother. Um, if you're familiar with John and Charles Wesley, you also know that they had a mother named Suzanne. John and Charles Wesley were those great revivalists that, you know, sort of birthed the, the church movement that became the Methodist Church and some of the spinoffs of that. And their mother, Suzanne Wesley, was just an incredible woman. She, she birthed 19 children and buried nine of them. Um, she homeschooled. 
the kids that she raised very orderly and like she had she had you know older kids teaching younger kids i mean it's just fantastic taught her girls like reading and writing and education things that the culture didn't think that girls were supposed to know taught her girls that long before she taught them how to sew and do all the things that the culture was telling them they should be doing but the secret to the real impact was that two hours a day her kids knew that she was not to be disturbed and because they lived in a little house her husband didn't make much money um he was a whole nother piece of work but um she would sit in her rocking chair and she would pull her apron up over her head and spend time with Jesus for two hours. She'd read in the Word, she'd pray, and she'd study. And her kids knew that when, the, you know, when mom's in the tent, <laughs> don't talk to her. It's like Moses in the tent, right? He only had the daily tent of meeting. And that was the secret to the impact and the success What's she doing? She's saying, I need to grow so that my kids can grow. I need to know him. I need to grow in knowing him. So, moms, if you're saying, well, I just don't have any space. Look, if you have a chair and an apron, which, you know, I'm thinking, through, I'm thinking this through a little bit. I'm realizing that nobody wears aprons anymore. But you get the point. It's worth, it's worth making a space. It's worth making time to know Jesus. Can I pray for you? Lord, thank you for each person here this morning. Thank you for the call to know you more. Now this morning, I'm, I'm really grateful that you, you didn't just save me and then, and then leave me to navigate through this on my own, that you were with us, that you were with me. I thank you for each person here this morning. And thank you that each of them can also grow in their knowing of you. So God, as a, as a church, as a community, grow us up. Uh, we don't want to get stuck as, as immature believers. Um, Lord, keep doing your work of sanctification in us, and we do some surrender to it. And even with that, God, oh, there's an awareness that's probably going to mean letting some things go. So we're going to need your grace to do that. So keep growing us in your grace. So give us an awareness and also the strength and the ability to let anything go that we need to. And we love you. And all for the glory of your name. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're a regular here, you know that I'm done a little early. That was strategic. Um, you also know that we're, we're working to uh, start a building process um, with the addition. And um, so... What I'd like to do for the next few moments before we close this morning is pass out these little booklets. I've got mine upside down, um, and I could turn it around. That would help you, those of you who have OCD. Um, there's there's a, a booklet called The Master Plan, and I think we've got some ushers that are responsible to pass those out. I'd like for every household to get one of these booklets. And then uh, Sarah Stoutner, where, where are you at? If you would join me up here. Sarah is in charge of kind of the fundraising part of this project, and I want to talk a little bit about the vision, and then I'm going to turn it over to Sarah, and she is going to talk about sort of our plans. Do you want to introduce the book? I can. Everybody hear me okay? Yeah. 
Okay. First off, can I tell a funny story? You can. Okay. You tell the story and then I'll introduce the book. How's okay. that? So talk about letting go. I came as a family of seven to church, and there's only four of us left here. So there's how many's left here? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. four of you. Yeah. So yeah. My, my twins and my you're, husband. You're talking about this morning. You this came, morning. Yeah, you yeah. came as seven, so stayed Elaine's as four. Said, you know, let things go, you know, all these things. I just really registered. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. And my Mother's Day gift was my, my twins decided to hold hands and pee their pants on the way to church. So <laughs> <laughs> my husband has the twins at home right now. <laughs> And if you're wondering, one of the last shots on the Mother's that Day was, was Sarah's little yeah. twins, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so who are first, getting dry clothes now. Yeah, so I will, I will introduce the book, but first, truly happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. It is um, a wonderful day to celebrate all of us and each one of you. So, uh, second thing, before we get into the book, a big thank you to Audrey, um, the media team. They created this and uh, through limited direction. So, thank you, Audrey. Where are you? There you are. Thank you. <laughs> okay, go so ahead, go ahead uh, please go ahead and hand out booklets if we could, one for each family. As okay. Um, master plan. Okay. So uh, this is our master plan booklet. Uh, Floyd and I plan to just kind of walk through it today and explain things and uh, go from there. Okay. If you open that front page, the first thing you're going to see is that uh, that mission statement that we really wrestled through about five and a half years ago as we were starting Cornerstone Church, and it was that our mission is to be building a community of Christ followers. I thought that was providential for this morning's sermon. Like, it's just a continuation of the sermon, that we are a church that is building because we use that word strategically because we don't ever really want to get to a place where we have arrived. Like, this is an ongoing thing, Right? Um, so we are, we are constantly building, and uh, we wanted the word community in there. It's important to us that people are learning to know each other. They're experiencing new relationships and friendships. And then ultimately, the most important thing is that it's a community of Christ followers. Because it'd be possible to build a community around a lot of things. We could build a community around, you know, ethnicity or, or background or shared food tastes or hobbies or whatever. But this is literally a, a community of people who follow Jesus Christ and take him at his word. If you turn the page, there's um, our mission statement. That's our church mission statement. And that was built off of the vision statement, which was to be building a community of Christ followers. The mission statement is simply to know Christ, teach truth, live grace, love people, and pray faithfully. And then there's that verse in Psalm 127 that has been really the, um, the verse I have gone back to over and over, especially in the last month or two as we've thought about the process of, of building more space on. And by the way, in case you're wondering, um, I think we have an extra row now, don't we? Or do, do we have more space somehow? Yeah, because I know the front row is a lot closer to the stage. And if you've been coming here, you know that there are Sundays where there's just no empty chairs anymore. So we're, we're working to do the best that we can with the space that we have right now, but we're going to need to make space. That verse in Psalm 127 is just that reminder that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that's been really important to all of us who are involved in the leadership of this, and that somehow that the story of the ongoing building of this church is a story of God did it. Like, it's not just a story of, well, we, we really got the marketing just right, and we want good marketing. This looks like good marketing to me. Thank you to everyone who was involved in that. We want it, but that's not really the story. The story is that we want to have happen is that God does it. Small things already, you know, we're like, like we suddenly had access to fill dirt um, at a reduced cost that we could get fill dirt 
significantly lower than what we had budgeted in for fill dirt. And we said, let's go. That's why the building pad is already pretty much done. Um, and you see the topsoil sort of bermed off to the side, waiting until the, you know, the trench is dug, and then that topsoil is going to get brought over. So if you're, if you're wondering about why the dirt work is already done out there, it's because we had a chance to save some money. And, um, and I see that, again, as God providing and, and giving those opportunities. So um, this, this page right here where my name is, um, I think my name got put there because I wrote that little section. And, and I just, that's really my heart in this process, and I'll let you read it. I'm not just going to go through and read that. But simply, um, as I sort of end that section, I think that's what's really on my heart is that I, I want to be a church that is faithful in doing what God has called us to do and let him continue to build the church. It's important to me that the growth is a growth in our personal lives first and foremost. Because, again, we live in a culture that puts a lot of uh, priority and defines success by numerical growth. And I'm fine with numerical growth, but that's not the most important growth. Most important growth is that those of us who worship together and, and are following Jesus together, that we are growing in our faith. And if God chooses to increase the numbers, then we'll just keep building more space. There's, at this point right here, the master, or um, I'm sorry, the master plan is the book. There's a bit of a timeline. And that, I love that timeline, and it's hard for me to even talk a lot about the timeline without getting a little bit emotional because I see the hand of God in the timeline. You know, I, I think about um, back in 2015 when we were renting a room there at the library and we started just introducing the idea and inviting people to come and we talked about what could we, could we start a church in this town and a church that would just preach a simple gospel, um, that would build it on prayer and the ministry of the word and, and just the ministry of the church. So we met there at the library, couldn't find a place to meet. Finally, you know, almost last minute. Um, and if you remember, you know, some of you have been here long enough. You remember Ben and Nicole were part of that team that helped plant. Ben all of a sudden found, found this school, and, um, and we were able to use the, uh, the middle school here in Kelowna. We met there from 2016 to 2019. And um, just to, again... That was a wonderful season, but I'm sure glad it didn't last forever. Man, I got tired of setting stuff up. Um, there, was, uh, there was just so many Sunday mornings that I, I would you know, be going in with chairs and setting up chairs and putting up curtains and things, and I'd think, Lord, any time now, it'd be nice to have a building. And, um, and then we got kicked out of there in the summer of 2017 because they needed to do some work in the school. So during the summer of 2017, we were at the rec center, Right before they tore it down, we literally helped them tear up the gym floor and take out the bleachers. Um, they, they rented the rec center to us for a dollar for the entire summer if we would help them tear, it, tear up the floor. So that's what we did. Again, God just provided. He took care of us. We didn't know what we were going to do that summer. We were just praying like crazy. By the next summer, same thing was going to happen. We were going to get pushed out of that building again. And we're like, well, now where do we go? And we were praying again, and, and nothing, was, nothing was working. And um, called every space that we knew of that could house about 100 people, and just nothing. And all of a sudden, in, at the last minute, it opened up to go to the United Christian and Baptist Church, uh, what is now Gospel Light Church. 
over on the corner, and um, they, could, they wanted to have it for Sunday mornings. There was about half a dozen people left in that church, and, and they wanted it on Sunday mornings, and, and um, they were trying to decide if they were going to close it down, which they eventually did. And so we took it on Saturday evenings. So that summer, for three months, we had church on Saturday evenings. It, I loved it. It was glorious for me. Um, you know, I'd go to church and preach on Saturday evening, and then I'd go fish on Sunday morning. <laughs> and, uh, but obviously, other people didn't love it. I mean, we, we grew our church that summer from about 80 to about 40. <laughs> um, it was actually kind of a discouraging time. It was actually a very discouraging time. And, uh, and, and toward the end of that summer, I was ready to hang it up. And uh, I was ready to just quit and say, well, I think that was a failed church plant. And I'm going to go grieve. Um, and then, again, mo- many of you know the story. You know, we started raising funds and, and trying to, you know, figure out if we could buy a property. We were looking at a couple properties. And, and then God just absolutely amazingly um, moved the, the leadership what was in this building, what was Kelowna Christian Fellowship at the time, um, to, to start having a conversation. And ended up, we, we ended up with this building being literally given. And some Sunday morning, I'm going to drag Larry Rediger up front here, and I'm going to say, tell us the story. <laughs> because there's a whole story, there's a whole backstory there um, about how that even happened. And you just have to see the hand of God, and it's an amazing story. And so that's where we are currently. And then the last point on that timeline is the addition that we're talking about needing now to make some space. What's next? I'm just, I, again, I'm not going to read that. You guys, I hope, are capable of reading English. If you're not, have somebody read that to you. And um, we have outgrown it. And, and one of the things that we really realized, you know, we took a, a month of prayer and fasting before we even made the decision to do this. And, um, and, and I really, really appreciated the feedback that we got from you during that time. And one of the overwhelming things that we heard over and over and over is, well, we need to make space for our kids. We need to make sure the kids are taken care of. So that is one of the main priorities, is to take care of those kids. What is the plan? That addresses that. We want to add five classrooms out that direction. And then this wall right here behind me is going to go west another 32 feet which will allow for some seating space and that will actually allow that lean-to on that side to be longer and to create a number of classrooms over there for kids and we can move our we'll be able to move our the entire kids church into that space then and create sort of a, a little better secure area to get in and out of that okay sarah you're up next your plans our plans okay um, your plans, our plans. So we went over this a couple weeks ago too. It's on the website as well. But your plans, if you remember, all of us are a part of the master plan. But just to kind of separate it out a little bit, your plans are plans that you would like to do um, in your service of time. For example, our can drive at the garage sale, that kind of stuff. And always feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in doing something like that. Our plans are uh, church-sponsored events on a larger scale. We have lots of ideas. We just haven't uh, finalized uh, some of the, with outside of the congregation, uh, church settings yet. We'll get those to you. But um, I guess the, the big one and why we're here today is to talk about faith commitments, and um, that's part of our church's plan, which is also part of your plan. So, what? 
So we do have these faith commitments. That's the, the main purpose of this book. The purpose of the book is twofold. One of them is to answer questions as much as possible, and then also to get these cards to you um, with faith commitments. And just from a theological standpoint, um, I don't know if theological is the right word, practical, um, one of the things that we did want to really, really encourage you in this is to think in terms of what, what would I trust God to allow me to give over the next several years and to literally be trusting God. That's, that's you know, faith. Um, we didn't just throw it in there because it sounded churchy. We would really like for you to do this as an act of faith. And, um, and just even, even on a physical sense, we, we actually did a separate box for whatever you were able to contribute to the building fund um, from our tithe box just to help us sort of understand that, you know, there's our tithe, that 10% that, that, real, that Scripture teaches us we should be giving um, to the church. And, you know, and, and I could do a whole sermon on that if you've got another hour or two. Are we up now? Okay. Um, but... But then also, you know, over and above that tithe to give in faith. You've heard me say this several times. I'm going to keep saying this because you've got to remember it. If you think, if you're going to wait until you have money laying around you do not know what to do with, that's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. Um, that most of us don't find ourselves at points in life where we just have money we don't know what to do with. Sometimes. Um, but it's pretty rare. Most of us are going to need to take money that we could have done something else with and give it to this. So, um, so there is a separate box. It looks like a little building, and uh, so pop it in there. Talk about the, uh, the cards a little bit. Yeah. Um, first of all, I skipped a page. Can we go back before we talk about the cards? Sorry. <laughs> so how can I give? There are other, other ways. So we do have electronically, there is a QR code within the booklet here that you're welcome to get your phones out, and uh, that will pop up directly. Then obviously, physically, um, a way to give as well. We talked about the plans and then the commitment cards. So your commitment cards look like this. And you also have a second insert for your records. If you choose to fill out a commitment card, you can keep that for yourself. On the front of the commitment card, you'll see there is options on uh, the giving time frame and how much you would like to give. And on the back, we have a chart of gifts. This is just purely an example. This is not what we expect of you. It is just a guide for if you were to question how much you'd like to give weekly, monthly, yearly on a one to three year commitment. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about these cards. Um, on a timeline, uh, could we get that popped up on the screen by chance? Uh, we've seen this several times. I think we also had it posted this week. But uh, today is what we call kickoff Sunday. So that's what Floyd and I have done today um, with a commitment focus uh, walkthrough. So we do have two more informational events coming up. That's the 10th and the 16th. So that's an hour-long session. If you have questions about what we've talked about today, if you'd like one-on-one uh, -on -one time during that time, that is awesome. I'd be happy to do that. We'll be having that here at the church. I will have plans also laid out for everyone if they'd like to see what that actual floor plan looks like in detail. And just, just time together, we'll walk through the donor booklet if we, if, if we choose to, and um, any further questions. But both of those times are going to be available in the upcoming weeks. Mm -hmm. May 22nd, um, that is going to be when we would like for the faith commitment cards to be given back to the church. Uh, Floyd, like he said, has a wonderfully built house in the back. It's pretty impressive that he's made for that. And then on the 29th of May, we will come back to the congregation and announce what we have 
for celebration of um, the commitments through our congregation. So we plan to announce that and be really excited. Also on the back of that faith card is just this really helpful little graph um, that, you know, if, you're, if you'd like to cover the entire amount, it shows you what that would break down in for your <laughs> weekly, monthly amount. And um, so I assume that somewhere in the, gr the group there's somebody that say, yeah, I, I want to be the top at everything. I just want to be the best at everything. Well, that's why that's up there at the top. If someone was going to do that, they should have done that way before all this work. <laughs> Anything else that you have? I don't think so. Okay. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Um, I, you know, as I was sharing that story, the prayer has been the, the engine that has driven this whole venture that as we planted and, and this church has grown. And uh, worship team, I want to invite you up for another song. And um, before we sing that together, I would like to just pray together and specifically pray for this, um, this process. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for the journey that, that you've had us on for the last five and a half years. And um, yeah, I'm just so grateful, grateful to you um, for how you have always provided for us. You've always cared for us. And, uh, and so we have no reason to think that you will not continue to provide for us and to, to lead us in this journey. Lord, um, help us not to get focused on a building never to miss the, the, the greater purpose of this and, and why we want to make space for kids. Why do we want to make space for more people? And, uh, and so, Lord, we really need you to, to keep working in our hearts and keep our eyes on, on what a real win is in your eyes. And, um, and then, Lord, our prayer is that, is that you would continue to, to bring um, the people you've called and, uh, and, and chosen to be a part of, of this group, a part of this story, and, um, and that you would just sovereignly work in this community. Lord, we are praying and continuing to pray for um, just a fresh work of your spirit in, in winning, bringing the lost um, and strengthening those who know you. So we pray it all for the, the glory of your name. Say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.